This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today, we're going to talk about the yoga aspect of Yoga Birth Babies. So not long ago, um, I had a teacher, actually, I think it was like last week, I had a a prospective teacher trainee interested in the program. So she hadn't worked with me. This is a program that um, I lead an 85-hour teacher training um, throughout the country with my friend Caprice Abowit, who's also a prenatal yoga center teacher. And we started really going beyond the New York area. Um, last year, we were in New Haven and Chester, New Jersey. This year, uh, we just did the New York City one, which we've been doing for about 12 years. And then in a couple months, we're going to be going down to North Carolina, to Charlotte, North Carolina. And this student who just learned about our program, we're on Yoga Alliance, and thankfully, we've got wonderful ratings. We're really, really proud of our program, asked a little bit about me as a teacher. Now, typically, when someone does a teacher training, they're usually studying with that teacher for a while. They're taking at the studio, so they know who the teacher is. They understand their principles from which they teach, and they can get a sense of, do they really want to embark on that path? Now, when we're visiting, people haven't really had a chance beyond some of our online stuff to understand who we are and our thoughts behind how we teach. So I thought I would do a little podcast, a little Facebook Live about it. So what I thought I would explain is a little bit about my background so that you can understand how I got to where I am. So for many, many years, I did musical theater, so as a singer-dancer, and that came with a lot of dance classes. So I did start the yoga path with some body awareness ahead of time. And during one of my first shows in the city, in New York City, (coughs) um, I met up with a few people that kept introducing me to this one woman, Donna Rubin. They kept saying, oh, you have to do yoga with Donna, you have to do yoga with Donna. And I think I was 23 at the time, and I'm like, okay. Great. So I went off and I I went to Donna's studio. It was one of the first Bikram yoga studios in the city. And I really liked the the heating aspect of it. I tend to be very cold, so that was kind of exciting. And um, I did that for a while and I got certified in it. Now, it wasn't long after my certification that I became very disenchanted with the Bikram style. I think it was meeting him, meeting Bikram Chowdhury, who I did not respond well with. Um, My dad passed away during that training, and he was really unkind about it, and I just thought, that's so uncompassionate. Um, So I, soon after doing the training, started separating myself from it, and I started to study, um, kind of at the same time, three different methods. I started studying a little Ashtanga. I started taking a lot at Shiva Mukti. And I also started to get a little more intrigued by Iyengar. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then I did my prenatal training with a teacher out in Seattle who is Iyengar-based. So by the time I got back to the city after my prenatal training, I was really into a different type of style. So I then got certified um, with a woman named Shiva Ray uh, many years ago. I think this was like 16 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that. And then because I feel trainings are fantastic, I then studied at Om Yoga with Cindy Lee. And I think it was actually one of the last advanced teacher trainings that she led. So I was really fortunate that I got my foundational foundational training very early from amazing teachers, um, just really got their information, got their juicy information and learned. Now, Cindy and Shiva are very different in their styles. Um, Shiva is very flowy, vinyasa, music is an essential part of her of her class. Uh, and so that was one thing that really appealed to the dancer side of me. And Cindy is really methodical, very, not that Shiva isn't, but um, very alignment-based and also brings a lot of Buddhism into her class. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. And then keep doing yoga, keep doing yoga, fast forward about maybe 12 years ago, I started studying with a woman named Jenny Capular, and she's an Iyengar teacher. And I loved it. Love, love, loved it. I know something about her sensibility and the intelligent sequencing made a lot of sense to me. Um, They really see their students. It's not just gymnastics, which I felt like a lot of the yoga was starting to become and so then I also studied, started studying with Carrie Awerka, who I've been studying with for, I don't know, eight or nine years. Um, so for the past 12 years, it's been a lot of Iyengar. So that will just start to give a sense of how I, how I approach my teaching. So when one of my students was, one of the students was asking me, and then also interestingly enough, uh, as I give feedback to our teacher trainees, these are some of the things in which I look for in a teacher and that I also want to present as a teacher of myself. All right, so let me get started on my little list. So I hope some of that makes sense of um, my background and where things are coming from. So the first thing that I think is extremely important for teachers and something that I think I use a lot and that I base my teaching upon is I think you really need to see your students. And what I mean by that is your students are your best teachers in a sense. So before I even got my certification in Bikram, I once had a teacher, they were stuck. It was a Mother's Day and they were stuck for a teacher and they were like, okay, Deb, you've been doing work training. Uh Oh, the, the desk training, um, you know, the system we need you to teach. And I was terrified. So one of the teachers said, you know what the sequence is because it's Bikram. It's a, a set series. He said, look at your students and see what they're not doing and use those words. They're going to teach you what to say. And that's really stuck with me for a while. So if you look at your students and you have something in mind, that's going to tell you what you need to say as well as what's not working. So far before I had my own babies, I was teaching prenatal and I used 
the students to give me a sense of what felt good in their body and what didn't. So if you've concocted this sequence in your mind that worked for your body, but then you're starting to work with your students on it, and you see that they're looking uncomfortable, you're seeing that they're falling, you need to use them as your teachers, that something's not right. And just because it works in your body doesn't mean it's gonna work across the board. Also, I also think it's important to um, not just do a sequence and and not offer corrections. Because otherwise, if you're not actually seeing your students and correcting them, they might as well be doing a video at home. Um, I also think one of the benefits of taking a live class is that they have an expert eye on them and they need your feedback. So I try to leave my yoga teacher hat <laughs> off when I take class. But I admit, I get a little, a little in my head and I have to separate myself that when I see a teacher completely ignoring a student, it feels like they're telling the student that, oh, you're doing that right, even if they're doing it massively wrong. So that gets me to the don't be afraid to correct. Because if that student is possibly injuring themselves, then that's the teacher's responsibility, as well as adjusting. And I know there's a lot of kind of controversy on how much to adjust, and we'll talk about demonstrating in a minute. But it can be overwhelming to a student if you're doing too much to them, but also not fair to them if you're not giving them feedback. So when I see students doing really uh, misaligned poses and the teacher's not correcting them, again, that's giving them the information that, yeah, you're absolutely doing it correctly, and then they think that's right, and then they're going to keep doing their practice like that, but they can also hurt themselves. There's a lot of issues that can come up in yoga. People can get shoulder issues. They can get torn labrals in their hips. They can get SI issues, as sacroiliac joint issues. So if the teacher's not actually taking the time to see their students and correct their students, I think they're doing them a huge injustice. So those are some of the principles I teach by see your students don't be afraid to correct your students. And if they're not responding to verbal cues, get your hands on them. Do hands-on adjustments. Now, I know some schools say, um, get your hands on everybody at least once during the class. I'm not really thinking that's necessary. Put your hands on who needs it. I'm not a fan of the feel-good adjustments. Like I've had people, and it feels a little creepy, give little massages or little pokey adjustments. Make sure when you put your hands on somebody, you know why you're doing it. You're giving them information through your hands and you're understanding that you're going into their space and touching their body and to be extremely respectful. So I don't think you need to touch everybody, but I do think your hands can be giving information if the verbal cues are not enough. Yoga Birth Babies is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, yogis, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. Go to healthiq.com backslash YBB to support the show and see if you qualify. So that's going to lead me to a bit of another controversial topic. Does the teacher demonstrate? Now, I tend to demonstrate a lot. Um, we have at Prenatal Yoga Center, we have a lot of brand new beginners, and we also have a lot of people that, as my friend Caprice called it, it's a little UN because we have a lot of different accents. We have a lot of people that English is not their first language. So if I'm just giving out all these verbal cues, just kind of walking around the room, which I definitely do sometimes, um, 
But if I'm just doing that and I'm not giving any sort of demonstration, I think a lot of people are going to get a little bit lost. So I personally demonstrate. And so I'm doing it face on to them. I know some people do it to the side, but I was recently watching a class um, for part of our teacher training where the teacher did it from the side. And then she was not seeing who was behind her and the student was doing some incorrect things. And then when she when I had him open into like a warrior two, the, the student didn't, the teacher didn't move and the student was kind of craning her neck to try to see the teacher. So when I demonstrate, I'm face onto them so I can see what's going on and I can make corrections, verbal corrections. And again, they can also match my body. Now, when I teach, I tend to mirror the students. I want them, so if I'm saying, bring your right arm up overhead, it's my left. Because I think it gets confusing if you're demonstrating and you're not mirroring them. So I mirror them when I demonstrate. And then I also move to what I call the new front of the room. So if they're opening to the side, instead of craning their neck to look behind me, I'm gonna go where they can see me so they can still follow my demonstration. And I do that for the front and the two sides. We don't usually face the back, but if I did, then I would face the back. So I find it really helpful that they get a sense of the words with the visualization. So I started to do some research last night when I was thinking about this, about um, auditory learners versus visual learners, and I couldn't find a dominant one. I was looking to see if um, visual learners are more dominant than auditory. And I think that's because I'm more of a visual learner. So I went online to try to find that and I didn't find that. But I think for a brand new skill, giving someone both auditory and visual learning can be really helpful. And also keep in mind that not everyone's showing up with that much body awareness. So if you're just giving them the physical cues, they may not have any idea really what you're talking about. And sometimes the cues can get really um, nuanced. You know, if you say to somebody like, hug the inner uh, edge of your shoulder blades together. Some people don't even know what that those are. I actually had a student call them the angel wings. You know, so sometimes it takes to show it. Um, even saying like externally rotate your legs, someone might not know that. So demonstrating, I think, is extremely helpful. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So just kind of reviewing some of the principles from which I teach are I want to make sure I'm really seeing the students. I want to make sure that when I demonstrate that they can follow me and I'm giving verbal and uh, auditory cues. I want to make sure that I'm not leaving a student doing something that I think is incorrect because, again, that's going to teach them that, they, that the teacher's ignoring it so they think it's correct. And I'm not afraid to adjust people. Another thing that I'm really big on is really, really teaching, not just giving a few memorized cues. Um, one of my things that kind of makes my skin curl is when someone just says, inhale up warrior one, exhale open warrior two. Well, a few things about that. If you have a newer class, they're not going to know what Warrior 1 is and how to open to Warrior 2, as well as the fact that there's a massive change in the foundation of the pose. 
warrior one, the hips are one way, warrior two, the hips are a different way. So if you don't actually give them the structure and an understanding, they can hurt themselves. <coughs> so we're going back to make sure we don't hurt our, our students. I also, and this I think comes from my time with Shiva, with Cindy, and studying Iyengar, is that when you're sequencing, you want to try to make it really intelligent sequencing. So what do I mean by that? I think you need to think about how the poses relate to one another. And if you're building to a peak pose, have you addressed all the parts of the body that need to be addressed so that you're not just throwing these random poses that have nothing to do with one another and then expect the body to be warmed up into it, into this final pose you're doing. I also think you should be mindful of the heating and cooling aspects of the pose and how it affects the nervous system. So things like someone just gets on their mat, they're breathing, they're taking, they start their, their opening ohm, and it would be totally inappropriate to say, okay, we're gonna do wheel pose, which is a big backbend, and it takes a lot of preparation for the body, because that is kind of a jar to the nervous system. And I'll use that same pose as an example, which I've seen in some classes. So you've gone through your whole class, you start to cool down, maybe you just did some hip openers and some forward bends and some twists, or maybe you just did um, any sort of maybe shoulder stand, and I've seen this where they'll say, okay, take the last five minutes to do anything you want, uh, or okay, we didn't do a chest opener, go ahead and just do a back bend. And so you've kind of, the way I believe class should be structured is it's a building block. You start, you warm up, you build, you build, and you take them down the other side, especially if it's a vinyasa class. And so you're being mindful of the cooling and the heating aspects of the pose, and again, how it affects the nervous system as well as um, I'm not really a fan of just saying, okay, you know, take these last few minutes to do whatever you want, because then it makes me think that the teacher ran out of stuff and that they're leaving it to the student to know. And granted, a lot of students really do know what's right for their body, but what if you have a class that doesn't really know? It's more of an advanced beginner class. And then they try to do these big poses that they haven't been warmed up for. So I'm not really a fan of that. And then lastly, um, I and this is just, I think, my time with Shiva Ray, who's brilliant at her music choices, as well as coming from a music theater background. So when I like to use music in class, and I've had music in class, especially if it's a vinyasa class, I like to use the beat of the class, the, the, the beat of the music, to drive the class forward. I'm not really fond of when music is just in the background because the teacher wants not to be, uh, not to have silence and is afraid to have their own voice. So I think music can be an amazing tool to help energize or cool down a class. It can give a beat. So especially if it's vinyasa and you're flowing dynamically, it can give that foundational beat and that you should really be listening to the music to figure out how to drive the class forward. So if you want a pretty upbeat class, kind of a fiery class, don't have wind chimes playing in the back. And then if you're starting to cool them down, don't have a pretty heavy sound in the back. And then this one little piece about the music, which I took from um, Cindy Lee, who insisted that when we taught at Ohm, that we didn't have any really recognizable music, nothing with lyrics. And I totally get it. And I remember being in a yoga class probably five or six years ago, and it was just kind of a mix of music. And the teacher put on um, The Grateful Dead, and I was loving it because I love the dead. So I was loving it, and I was kind of 
enjoying that. And I think it was like a hip opener. And then the next song was a Michael Jackson song, which for some reason I have just a really bad memory towards. And I don't know exactly why. That takes, I guess, some further investigating. And I was just kind of put off. It took me in a completely different mood. And so that's something Cindy was saying is that when we were teaching Ohm, she didn't want us to have recognizable music for that exact reason, that it could bring someone out of their practice somewhere else, as well as set off or trigger something that's not really appropriate at the moment. So when you have music, have it support your class and have it um, be mindful. So I hope that makes sense of how I teach. And for those that are interested in studying with the prenatal yoga center, that is a lot of the information I'm going to give that supports the anatomy and physiology and the prenatal class and how we structure things. Um, we, As I mentioned, we do these 85-hour teacher trainings all around the country. And if anyone has questions about that, please always feel free to reach out to prenatalyogacenter.com. And I hope that just informs people a little about uh, the methodology and my thoughts behind uh, I don't want to use intelligent because all yoga is intelligent in a sense, but um, I guess mindful, my mindful approach and the principles from which I teach. Thank you for your time. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft. Made with Tencel, it's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.